0: Well, let me just say it's been an interesting morning. Um, You ever had one of those mornings where just about everything that could go wrong has gone wrong? And that has been what has been happening this morning. So I want to just take a moment um, before I dive into the message just to ask the Lord to be with us. Right now our streaming is not working very well. I was on that just seconds ago trying to figure out why we're not getting good output, but right now, um, out there, they're seeing probably some of this stuff going on. So we'll pray about that. And uh, it just reminds me that I don't think the enemy has focused everything on us this morning, but important things are happening when we come together and worship and when we go into the Word of God. And we have an enemy who doesn't want that to happen. He wants to keep us out of the Word. He wants to keep us discouraged. He wants to keep us divided. And we've seen him try all kinds of things to do that to the church. But I believe God is bigger. It's not going to happen, okay? We're going to preach the Word. We're going to worship together. We're going to stay united as a body of Christ, whether we are online or whether we're here in the building. We're going to ask the Lord to help us to do that this morning, so let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are all-powerful, that there is nothing that can stand against you. We pray against the enemy this morning who wants to disrupt, who wants to disturb, who wants to discourage, who wants to bring division. Lord, we, we speak against the enemy in the power and the name of Jesus this morning, that your word would go out, that you would touch our hearts, that you would change us into the people that you want us to be. We thank you that we can be together here this morning and dive into your word, Lord. We know that your word is powerful and effective and it will change our hearts and we look forward to that change happening here today. We thank you in the name of Jesus, we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, Naomi started us off with (coughs) the title of the message today is, "What (coughs) what time is it? What time is it? Do you know what time it is? I like to know what time it is. I have worn a watch for, I don't know how long, for many years, and I know it's maybe not as popular nowadays, but... I'm lost kind of without my watch. And this one, I have to charge it every two days, so sometimes I, it's on the charger and I forget to put it back on. And I have clocks probably in almost every room in my house so I can know what time it is. And there's a lot of other ways that we measure time, isn't there? Not just by clocks or watches. We get our cues from all kinds of places in this life about what time it is. Now, we can tell just by being outside and seeing approximately where the sun is at um, as to what time of the day it is. Now, I know it's not where the sun is at, it's where where the sun is in relation to how the earth is rotating and all of those details, but you know what I mean. We can tell what time it is just by that. And we also tell, of course, what time it is by the rotation of the earth around the sun that creates the seasons summer winter fall spring farmers like i know joe likes to farm they can tell what time it is by looking at what the crops look like is it time for harvest or what the ground looks like what the weather's like is it time to plant is it time to spray is it time for harvest Children measure time by all kinds of things, and probably one of the big ones for them, especially if they're school age, is is it time to go back to school? I don't know if any kids are excited about going back to school or not. Ella probably is. Um, But uh, is it time to go back to school? We don't know what school is going to be like, but August is next month, if you can believe it. It's already next month. Um, And so... That would be one of the things that kids use to measure time. Is it time for camp? Is it time for summer vacation? Is it time for my birthday? Um, our youngest was always always reminded us well in advance that his birthday was coming. We knew it was coming up. Youth measure time maybe by the days or months until you get your driver's license. That was a big deal for me when I was a young person, the day I could pass that test and get my driver's license and drive independently, Um, or they might look at time being measured by when do I graduate from school or other things like that. Young adults might measure it by when I might graduate from college or maybe getting that first real job or measuring time by how long they've been dating somebody, like it's been three months or six months or a year or two years, that they've been dating somebody. Of course, married people measure maybe by anniversaries. Singles maybe measure by their days of freedom. I don't know. Um, Doris and I measure time by the milestones in our family, often by what our children have done in the past. We will think, well, when did that happen? Well, it was like after this person graduated from high school or we had that grad party or whatever it might be. Um, that sport, sporting event or musical event that they were involved in. Our lives are dated by scrapbooks where Doris has visually documented the passing of time in our lives. And so I'll ask her often, like, when did that happen or whatever? She'll, like, go back and grab a scrapbook and pull it down, and she'll look through there. Well, it happened right here because she's got it all documented. She's got the dates there. We know exactly when it happened. And we're finding more and more that we need to do that because we can't remember when things happen. I don't know why that is, but... And as we look at those pictures, we also realize that we're measuring time by kind of how we look. You know, it's like, wow, I used to look like that back then. Um, or how we look now. Like I, Like, I didn't have those wrinkles back then, I have them now. I used to have more hair back then and some of it's disappearing. Maybe some of you, um, your hair used to be like black or brown or whatever and now it's got this gray tone, Um, we'll call it silver, distinguished, whatever you want to call it. Um, But we measure time by all kinds of things that we get our cues from, what time it is. So what time is it right now? Well, my watch says it's 10.55, I need to keep moving here. 1055, July 12th, the year 2020. It's interesting to me that in a largely unbelieving world, we all measure our time by one significant event in history, and that is the birth of Christ. Approximately 2020 years since the birth of Christ. Christ. In our text today that we're looking at, in Romans 13, Paul reminds us of a second event that all of us who believe, we mark our time by. It's just as important as that first event that our our time is measured by here, that we all measure by almost 2,000 years since Christ came. The second event... Paul talks about in Romans 13, 11, and we're going to pick up our study here, and I'm going to read verses 11 and the beginning of verse 12. He says, besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from your sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, and the day is at hand. So, what time is it? Well, the first thing I would say from what Paul tells us here is it's time to wake up. I don't know if I woke anybody up there or not, but it's time to wake up. That's what Paul says, wake from your sleep. It's time to wake up. I was trying to picture what, for some reason, when I was thinking of waking up, I, I thought of these old-style clocks. I, if you, Pam found one um, that reminds me, and I... I was going to try and wind it up and see if I could set it off, but a lot of other things didn't go right this morning, so I didn't even get time to like play with this clock. Well, look at that. So you can hear it. Maybe I'll wake somebody up. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. It's time to wake up, Paul says. Time to wake up. What is it that we need to wake up? We're going to look at that this morning. Paul is setting off an alarm clock, so to speak, for us. Why is he setting off this alarm? Because, why do we need alarms? Well, because some people are asleep. And Paul wants to wake us up. We're not awake. We don't know what's going on around us in some ways. The alarm wakes us up and reminds us what time it is and that there are things that we need to do. That's why we set alarms, so that we get up, we wake up, and do the things that we know we need to do. And so I think it's fair to say that Paul is setting an alarm for us, and possibly saying that some of the church may be asleep. So why is this alarm going off? Well, Paul tells us, the hour has come. That's what he says, the hour has come. What hour are we talking about? Well, he says it's the hour of salvation. The hour of salvation has come. Now, Paul isn't talking about the day that you first believed in Jesus and were saved. He's not talking about that day, but he's talking about the final day when your salvation will be made complete. There's a day where everything, the final chapter is going to be written And our salvation is going to be complete. We will have it in its entirety. And we know that it's not complete right now. We've experienced salvation to some degree, but someday the final chapter is going to be written. And so Paul tells us that the hour has come. Our salvation is near. Now if you remember when we looked at 2 Timothy last year, chapter 3, Paul reminded Timothy that we are in the last days. We're in the last days. And he also told Timothy, if you remember that passage, that they were going to be really difficult days, like terrible things, terrible sin is going to occur in the last days before Jesus returns in that last chapter. John tells us in 1 John 2 that we're in the last hour. And the passage that Marty read for us in 2 Peter 3, it says that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And Jesus uses the very same words. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, when everyone is asleep and no one expects it. Everyone, that is, except for those who believe. Those who believe are supposed to be awake. We're supposed to be awake. We're supposed to wake up. Be awake. So what is this day of the Lord? It's the day when Jesus will come again. When he will judge the earth, when he will take his people, those who believe in him, he will take him home to be with him in heaven. And Paul says, it's time to wake up, church, because that hour is here. We're in that last hour is what Paul is saying. It's pretty clear to me that Paul, both in this letter and other places, believed that Jesus was going to return probably within his lifetime. I think Paul believed that. And skeptics would probably say, well, Paul didn't get it right. He's talking about the last hour is here, and, well, that was like 2,000 years ago. Almost. So, what happened? Paul didn't get it right. Well, Peter speaks to skeptics in this passage in 2 Peter 3 that in the last days there will be scoffers who say, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning. There are going to be scoffers who say these things. Where is this coming? It's been a long time, At at least the way we count time, right? It's been a long time. Where is this promise? But Paul reminds them, well, yeah, actually in this case, in Peter, Peter reminds them that God has intervened all throughout human history And that he will continue to intervene. That his plan is continuing to be worked out in its entirety. And Peter tells us that in no uncertain terms, the day of the Lord will happen when nobody expects it. Just like the flood happened, he said. It's going to happen where nobody expects it. It could happen today. It could happen while we're here in worship today. It could happen tomorrow or next week, this year. We don't know. And you know what? As great as Paul was and Peter was, they didn't know when it was going to happen either. No one knows. In fact, Jesus has this to say about it in Matthew 24. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the sun but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. What does Jesus tell us to do in response to that? He says, be ready. Be ready. Don't be asleep. Those are the words that Jesus says. Don't be asleep. When the Son of Man comes again like a thief in the night, be ready. And then he gives several parables that you're probably familiar with. The the ten virgins who were waiting for the bridegroom to come so they could join the celebration, the wedding celebration. And you probably know the story where they had lamps with oil and it was late at night. And five of them had enough oil for the whole night but five did not. And so while the five that didn't have enough oil were out trying to find oil, the bridegroom came. And everybody went in for the celebration and the doors were closed. It was too late for those five that didn't have enough oil, that weren't prepared, that weren't ready. He talks about the talents, if you remember that parable where he hands out money to individuals, different amounts of money, resources to manage, and then the master goes on a long trip. And once again, they really don't know when the master's going to return. But when he returns, he finds that some had used the money wisely, had caused it to gain in value, and one person didn't do anything with it. But buried it in the ground. He talks about the sheep and the goats. And Jesus raises the question who has given a drink to the thirsty, or welcomed the stranger, or clothed the naked, or visited the sick, or those in prison? Jesus spends a lot of time on this saying, Be ready. The hour is here. Be ready. Stay awake. No one knows the day or the hour. Paul tells us that some of us have fallen asleep. And it's time to wake up. Because the hour is here. He gives us what I consider to be some very encouraging words. He goes on to say, the night is far gone and the day is at hand. I don't know about you, but Sometimes the night seems pretty dark, doesn't it? Of course, the night symbolizing the evil in the world and the evil in our hearts. It can be discouraging. Not just the evil out there, but the evil right here that we struggle with in our own lives. We as believers are in a constant battle with evil that wants to reign in our hearts. I think of the passage that says, we battle not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers. We are in a battle. And, you know, we're feeling it here this morning even. We're in a battle. But sometimes it seems like I'm asleep to what's happening, that we're asleep, like we're not realizing the significance of what is happening here and in churches all over the world. We're in a war. But Paul says here, he says that war is almost over. Like we're not at the beginning of the war, we're not in the middle. He says we're in the last hour. He said the night is far gone. And so I think all of us as believers ought to be encouraged that That battle is almost over. As you look at the world and maybe you're discouraged and you wonder, how in the world are we going to, like, what's going to happen? Paul says, it's almost finished. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. Paul reminds us that These days of darkness are nearing an end. The sin, the evil, the rage, malice, murder, division, all of it, even while it is escalating, it's nearing its end. It will not last forever, and it's close to the end. We're in the final chapter, and evil will be completely defeated, both in our hearts and in the world, Forever. I want you to think about that for a moment. All of the evil that we experience and all the evil that we fight against in our own lives. We're close to the end of that day. When all of that will be completely defeated and put behind us. The night is coming to an end and the dawn is upon us, church. And we ought to be encouraged by that. Yes, it is hard. But the day is coming. It's time to wake up, church. The day is at hand, so be ready. Are you awake yet? Do you see that it's, this is not a time to sleep? This is not a time to pull, to stay in bed and like pull the covers over our heads. You know, I know we feel like doing that a lot of times. I'm just going to pull the covers over my head and not look, but this is not the time for that. So now that we're awake, what are we to do? Let's continue in verse 12 and 13. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. So, what time is it? It's time to wake up, and it's time to shine. It's time for the church to shine. We are children of light. Jesus said, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Instead of being hidden, That light is put on a stand for all to see. It's time for the church to shine. Ephesians 5 reminds us that once we were in darkness, but now we are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. That's who we've been declared to be. As followers of Jesus Christ, the one who is all light, we are to walk in that light. We're children of light. Philippians 2, I love this passage, tells us to do everything without grumbling or complaining, that we may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine like stars. That is what the church is to be in the darkness. We're to shine like stars. In John 8, Jesus tells us that he is the light of the world and that whoever follows him will not walk in darkness but have the light of life. First Peter 2 tells us that Jesus has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. First John 1 tells us that God is light in which there is no darkness at all, and if we walk in darkness, we cannot even claim to have fellowship with Him. Because that's not who we are. We're children of light. And the passage Marty read, in 2 Peter 4, asked the question, since the day of the Lord, the judgment of the world is almost here, what kind of people should you be? And it says we are to be diligent to be found By him without spot or blemish and at peace. It's time for the church to shine in this dark world. Paul tells us to throw off the works of darkness. Throw them off. We're being deceived. We're getting caught up in the works of darkness. We're being caught up in the ways of the world. Our lights are flickering and some have gone out. And in fact, in Revelation, Jesus reminds the church that if you are not being faithful, I'm going to remove your lamp. And some of that has happened as well. It's time for the church to shine as we were intended to. And Paul gives some examples of darkness to turn away from in this passage He talks about wild parties and drunkenness. He talks about sexual sin and obsession with sensuality. He talks about quarreling and jealousy. And I don't think he's trying to give us a conclusive list here, but he's just reminding us that sin has no part in the children of light. It has no part in us. And so we should... Throw off those things. Wake up to your sin. Call the darkness what it is. Cast it off. Similar to how the writer of Hebrews tells us to throw off every weight and the sin that so easily entangles us. Throw it off. Wake up to your sin and throw it off. Whatever it might be. The hour is here. Don't wait. The time is now to do that. Not only do we throw off the works of darkness, but we put on the armor of light. It's clear that this passage refers back to all that Paul has been saying. We've been studying. If you remember some of those things that we've been looking at about loving one another. About obeying the government. About loving our enemies. About repaying no one evil for evil. About living in harmony with one another, about not being wise in our own eyes, about blessing those who persecute us, rejoicing with those who rejoice, and weeping with those who weep, about showing hospitality. And we're not talking about just what we've studied, but all through Scripture that we're told how to do this and what it looks like to be children of light. It's time to put on or clothe ourselves with the bright armor of light. It's interesting to me that in Revelation 19, John describes the wedding supper of the Lamb. When the church, the bride of Christ, is united with the Lamb of God, Jesus himself. And in verse verse 8, speaking of the church, John says this, It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. We're children of light, and our righteousness shines Like beautiful armor or fine linen, bright and pure. And we know that this is not our righteousness, is it? But that which has been given to us through Jesus, the Son of God. Isaiah puts it this way in chapter 61. He says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul will exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. What time is it? Well, it's time for the bride, the church, to make herself ready for her bridegroom. It's time. That day is close. We don't know how close, but we're told it's close. The hour is here. It could be at any moment, the night is far gone and the day is at hand. And like any wedding preparation that you've been a part of, many of us have been a part of wedding preparations. We know it takes some doing, doesn't it? To get everything ready. And even the bride, it takes hours to get the bride ready for the wedding. Most of the day, we're preparing the bride for that wedding. And so, we, the bride, need to get ready for that wedding celebration that is coming soon. It's time. It's time to throw off the works of darkness and put on the pure white robes of righteousness provided by the father through jesus his son that's what it's time for paul wraps up this passage with a good conclusion i think in verse 14 he says but put on the lord jesus christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Jesus tells us in Revelation 22, he says this, Behold, I am coming soon, and my reward is with me to give to each according to what he has done, And further down it says, The Spirit and the Bride say, What do they say? Come. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come.